Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 12 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights and stories from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Today, we're very excited to present a conversation with Lion Tree CEO, Arie Borkoff, and Leslie Moonves, the chairman and CEO of CBS. Their conversation covered everything from the company's content-centric focus, their ongoing diversification of their revenue streams, and their OTT expansion plans. It's an eye-opening chat. As chairman and CEO of CBS, Les Moonves oversees CBS TV, Showtime Networks, The CW, CBS Studios, and Simon & Schuster. He came to CBS in 1995 after a stint running Warner Brothers TV and developing hits like Friends and ER. Under his direction, the CBS TV network has been the number one in viewers for 14 of the last 15 years and currently has TV's number one drama, NCIS, the number one comedy, The Big Bang Theory, and the number one news program, 60 Minutes. He's a member of the Halls of Fame of both the TV Academy and Cable and Broadcasting, and of course serves on numerous boards. We're delighted to present this intimate chat. People always wonder how I'm close to CEOs like yourself, Les, and I have to say, and I'll reveal in this case, that you and I bonded over two key things in our life. One, I have to give a big shout out to your son, Charlie, because I am the, I would say, godfather of joke telling, I would say, for Charlie, right? And that's how we first started really getting to know each other. He was very popular in school retelling your joke. Yeah, so for, for back to school weeks here, Charlie going into second grade, yeah, he's my boy, and that's how we really got close. The other part of it, more to the point today, is that Les is one of the rare executives in the corporate suite in the boardroom that truly has a passion for the creative side of the business, not just because of his background, running the Warner Brothers television studios and being close to the content side of the business. But you really love how creative works and how it's being developed. So that's where we share that bond. And I think it's a unique trait for a CEO. Thank you. Look, there are a lot of parts of my job, but the most fun is still pilot season, looking at new shows, creating content is still the top of the list when it comes to the pleasures of the job. And that, frankly, doesn't change. Right. And you do a great job with it. So... To start off with a a leading question or a loaded question, but a simple question, do you view yourself and CBS as a traditional media company, as you're often described? It's a word we've sort of grown to hate. When we initially came in, and I've been at CBS over 20 years now, traditional meant old. There was a, a viewpoint of CBS, it's an old media company. It's got radio stations, it's got billboards, it's got television stations. And my God, the network television business is dead. What possible future should they have? As you see how we've evolved, how the world has evolved, and I know we're going to get into it in a minute, with streaming and online services, we think of ourselves as a media company. We are a media company first and foremost, and we're a content company. And that's primarily how we like to be known. The word traditional, and I know we're dealing today with traditional meets digital and how old media is meeting new media and you're going to deal with that. We think ourselves as a media company. We produce content, we distribute it, sell it in as many different ways as possible in the right place at the right time. And that's how we prefer to be viewed. How do you pierce through these uh, perceptions and let people understand when you say that you're a media company, that they're not thinking that you're slow, you're behind the times, 
you're not evolving fast enough. The video is great, but how do you get people to understand when you say you're a media company that you are fast moving, you're a cruise ship? Right, look, the name of our corporation is the name of a network that's been around for a long, long time. I think what we have done, I think what we've shown the world, and I think we've done it in, in a rather leading way, is what we've done with our streaming services. The fact that we've been one of the first, and, and first among many. I'm not saying we're not doing things that many of the people in this room aren't doing, but the fact that we have established all access, Showtime over the top, CBSN in the last few years, one of the biggest compliments we got a few years ago was from the New York Times in describing CBS saying, isn't it ironic, and they use that word, that the most traditional media company is also one of the leading forces in change for video content. That to me was a great compliment and sort of summarized what we are trying to do now. And I think the fact that we've had early success with all three of those services and just announced that we're doing a fourth with sports and we're branching out internationally with our OTT services, I think it's hard to look at CBS and say, gee, this is an old-fashioned company. When they see all the things that our interactive division is doing, and I know Jim Lanzone, who runs our interactive group, is going to be speaking here later, it's pretty phenomenal. And frankly, that group, the interactive group, is interacting with virtually every division of CBS, you know, going from Simon & Schuster and how the books are going digitally to every single part of our company, news, sports, entertainment, publishing, station groups, etc. Late night, I think you get a whole different view of what CBS is than what CBS was thought of. You must be staying up at night thinking, I love my company, I love CBS, I love what we've accomplished, I love the assets we have. But really, man, if I could just be running and owning Facebook instead, or if I could just be running Apple TV strategy instead, then I would be really on the forefront. I mean, do you think you want to change places with anyone else out there, or do you feel like you're in the do best you th- Do you think Les Moonves wants to change places with Mark Zuckerberg? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I like my life. It's very good. <laughs> I was referring more to the asset I, than the person. Yeah, 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 fine. We can go there, too. You know what? <laughs> As I said to you earlier, I love CBS. It's part of my blood. No, I think what we're doing is exciting. We're changing. I think we're changing the world. Are we making the impact that a Facebook or an Apple is? Probably not. However, I would think we have a very important place in the world. We're producing original content that's watched by hundreds of millions of people throughout the world. I think it's making an effect. I think we have an important place in the universe. And how about the hundreds of millions of people around the world? Talk to the demo a little bit. I mean, are people watching it that are kids and our grandkids or, or you know, future generations, or are they watching it in the way we watched it back in the beginning of television? Well, I'm sure you're partially referring to CBS being known as the geezer network for many years. Yeah, we were you said it. older skewing. And truth be told, yes, we do skew older than most of our competitors. By streaming, obviously, it's a new way to do it. And, and one example I will give you is... Just in news, okay? So the average broadcast news viewer is approximately 60 years old. The average Fox news viewer is 70 years old, okay? CBSN, our streaming news service, the average news watcher is 38 years old. That's a huge difference. So when people say, okay, what is the future of the news division of where people are getting their news? And Fox is doing the same thing, and I'm not knocking your company, Peter, I promise. They're doing the same thing as we are. The the way to get younger viewers is obviously by streaming. We like to call our news service the cable bypass. 
that we're getting newer and younger viewers. And clearly, the people that are watching our entertainment, six days later, seven days later, 30 days later, invariably, they're younger, and it's a different demographic that was doing it before. You bring out an interesting point. So it's not the content that's being produced that doesn't hit the demo in terms of millennials. It's the platform that's delivering the content that you think is a distribution medium that reaches the millennials more effectively on that, streaming. That, that's absolutely right. And there was an interesting statistic we used at our upfront this year that as many people are watching CBS content today as watched it 15 years ago. They're just watching it. Only 60 to 65% are watching it on the air in its time period. And the other 30 to 35% is watching it later on different platforms. And obviously that 30 to 35% number is going to increase as time goes on. We're going to learn how to sell it in different ways. And as soon as Nielsen can catch up to that viewership, that will also help. That's important. The content has not changed dramatically. I'm not saying the pictures aren't better and they're not shooting them in a, in a better manner. But I don't think television content is that different than it was 50 years ago when Naked City was on and another show called Hawaii Five O was on. Mm-hmm. You know, content is the same. What we're doing with it is changing. Well, we'll get to the method by which you deliver the streaming and pricing in a few moments. But just sticking with this content theme about reaching different audiences, and do you have to change the format of the content? Does it have to get more short form or... You have to change the way that you produce the content. I mean, you're a 30-second spot guy by your training. I mean, are you evolving with the times there? Yeah, but we're a 30-second guy on the CBS television network. Remember, we're also producing shows for Showtime, non-advertising. CBS All Access, non-advertising. Digitally, we're doing some different forms of content. I think we're shaking it up quite a bit. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of shorter-form content mm-hmm. led partially by Mr. Katzenberg in that charge. And You're a we, believer right, in I'm, I'm, I believe in anything that Jeffrey does, I believe. <laughs> well, how about a short-form Pe- people, people have lost a lot of money betting against Jeffrey Katzenberg. You don't do that, yeah, you know. So, look, short-form content. Obviously, people are watching a lot more on their iPhone. They're watching content in a lot of different ways. It's sliced and diced in different ways. You look at James Corden, okay? At 1230 at night, the numbers that he has are not phenomenal. They're actually pretty mediocre. But when you see that he has 10 million views on YouTube for his carpool karaoke's or his every single night, that's a game changer. So it's almost doesn't matter what he's making on the network. That's not where the bulk of our revenue is. It's more online. That's a game changer. You have to think of it totally different, that the network is just sort of the center of the hub, and then you're making your money in all sorts of different ways. I always like to point out the exception to the short-form content uh, wave. If you all Google today on YouTube what the longest video is on YouTube, it's about 596 hours long, and it's been viewed almost 3 million times. <laughs> so that's like an argument that people actually do like some long-form content here and there. You know. Let me get back to like the company itself, because a lot of activities happen strategically in the industry and scale is important, et cetera. You have been active, but in a way, almost against the grain because you have descaled the company. You have focused the company, so to speak. And by doing so, you've divested the outdoor business, you've divested the radio business, and you've become purely the content company that you are today. What was the rationale for descaling or focusing, and how does it relate to your view of the advertising exposure the company has? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons, six years ago, seven years ago, we were 72%. 72% of our revenue was advertising. 
That was not a good place to be because every time there was the slightest trouble with the economy, our stock would get killed. Our company would get killed. It also was not where the future was. So we have now trimmed that from 72% to 40%. Now, part of that is, as you said, getting rid of outdoor, and we're in the process of selling radio, and that should happen in a couple of months. That reduces it. In addition, we have put a great deal more money into content. And then when you see the rise of revenue from retrans and reverse comp, also the OTT space, also international sales, those areas which are non-advertising related. So we have grown by investing in our own businesses and de-risk by getting rid of those other assets. So that's good, prudent business sense in terms of having more of a diversified revenue stream. Right. But does it reflect your view of the advertising market or can you talk about where you think the advertising trends are now? Because we've seen some pretty right. scary numbers out there from the advertising agencies. No, well look, 40% is still a big chunk of our revenue. It's still the largest part of our revenue stream. We're not worried about the advertising. The advertising market, and I've been doing this a long time, it goes up, it goes down. People, analysts say, oh, are you worried about cars going up? No. Cars go up, they go down. Advertising will always be a part of what we're doing. We're selling it in new ways. As you can see, you've recently heard, we reconstructed our advertising group with your interactive group, moved from under interactive to within the whole sales organization. So it's now a much more concerted effort when you're selling network, you're also selling streaming, you're selling online, you're doing that, and it's sort of as a whole. And that's been a significant move and our company is small enough, and we're not that many divisions. As I said, interactors involved with everything that we do, every division we do, and sales as well. So it makes sense that it's more coordinated and the future looks just fine. It's also replicating, may I add, what the advertising agencies are doing. So your view going into 2018 of the ad market or the ad trends are more the same or neutral or potentially going down and you're accounting for it? What do you think? Look, the upfront, which is still the bulk of our advertising, which comes in May, and every year advertisers say it's going to be down. In 15 of the last 16 years, it's been up. Last year, up high single digits. The year before, up low double digits. So I'm very bullish on advertising, and I also think Nielsen is now doing a better job of measuring the afterlife of these shows. Now we're getting counted for seven days after on just about every deal. And we're getting counted through 35 days. That's a whole new revenue stream that's going to grow. It's very little right now, but there's going to be a whole new sales trend for that. I'm not concerned. I think advertising is going to be part of the media landscape for a long, long time to come. But at 44% or so of your revenue being advertising-based, you're comfortable around that level, or you're trying to get it down even further? Total. No, no, no. We were looking at a target of 50, so we're very comfortable right now. Once again, the key to all this is flexibility. You yeah. see how the world goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you would have told me a few years ago we can get down this low, I would have been surprised, but I'm really happy we're there. And then how about picking up the theme of the scale player that you've been getting more focused, but if you want to scale up and you want to get more strategic in terms of the landscape, how would you think about your set of assets in a scaled-up environment? And do you think right. about it being similarly diversified with advertising and subscription? Right. Look, we're competing now not only with the other networks who are owned by much bigger companies than us, Comcast, Disney, Fox, they're all bigger companies than us. Then we're also competing now with Netflix and Facebook and Apple that are all getting into the original content business. You know, We are a smaller company. We're more focused on what we do. We're more nimble. Would the right assets make sense? Potentially. 
But I don't feel like we're deficient. I don't feel like we can't compete. Putting a lot more money towards programming doesn't necessarily ensure success. Netflix spends a lot of money. I don't think their hit rate is nearly as good as ours or Fox's or some of our competitors. They spend a lot more, but they miss a lot more. Right. Well, there are things that you don't have in your portfolio that I'm sure that uh, knowing you that you would love to have. Film studios or something that you've always aspired to have as mm -hmm. part of the portfolio. That's not advertising dependent. No. Is that something that you think strategically is an imperative or nice to have? Film studio was something I, I loved the idea of about a decade ago. You know, it was more exciting. Somehow or another, you don't feel like Louis B. Mayer anymore, I think, if you walk on a lot. It's a different animal. We have a tiny little movie company, so we do like three movies a year so I can go to a premiere and I feel fine. It sort of takes care of that. The movie company is actually making a little bit of money and it's fun. Look, it would be fun to have a big movie studio. I'm only teasing, you know, that would be a fun thing to do. Once again, going back to I love content. I love yeah. working on content. Yeah. I love working with writers and directors, and that would be a cool thing to do. I don't think at this moment in time, and when you look at like the worst summer in like 20 years, it's yeah. not like, gee, I wish I had had a movie studio this past summer. You know, Labor Day weekend. The, Labor Day weekend, you know, was, they said, the worst since 97. So, right. And the movie business is changing also. Netflix and Amazon have changed the whole paradigm for, for the movie business. What that means, fortunately, I don't have to worry about it as, as much as some of my friends out there, but it's changed the game. Well, let's go back to distribution of your content, or what we call over-the-top, which is really a comment about moving away from the existing cable telco ecosystem, although you've thrived in that ecosystem as well. So in OTT, the CBS All Access Showtime offering is, I think, about $5.99 per month. How'd you come up with that price point? All, all Access is $5.99. All Access is $5.99. Right. Showtime and is and Showtime is actually more similar to what you could get it elsewhere. Got it. So how'd you come up with that price point? Are you pricing it in competition with Netflix at $9.99 or read from YouTube or Amazon, or is it a distinct offering based on your content? Once again, as would happen with all of our All Access and Showtime OTT, I relied a lot on our interactive guys. So they came in with a lot of data on what the right pricing would be. This is what this is at. This is what this was at. And they made the argument for $5.99, and we made the decision. And it's working. And it's working. And it's How working. do you know? How do I know? Because we're pleased with where we are. We were pleased where, with our subgrowth is, and our subgrowth with all access is there without our big gun coming up, which is Star Trek, and a full season of the NFL. We only had the NFL for the last two weeks of last year on all access. So this September, starting this Sunday, we have the NFL beginning on all access. The following Sunday, we have the premiere of Star Trek on CBS, which immediately then flips over to all access. So we expect that to be a big boost this fall to the number of subs we have. So the strategy for something like Star Trek is to premiere it on the broadcast network for the first show and then have it exclusively on All Access beyond that. Exactly. You think we'll see more of that for the future? Probably. I mean, we did it with The Good Fight. Having the network, which reaches millions and millions of people, is a very good promotional tool for a premiere episode. It's how we all work together. Talk about how you view OTT versus the skinny bundle. I look at something they call the skinny bundle, and I think that's really more of a reaction to the traditional model getting reworked a bit and people getting more of the suite of channels that they actually watch. But in an all-access environment, I would think that customers, particularly millennials or whoever really, would want 
more content, not a skinnier bundle of content. Look, this is how we look at the world. We're in traditional bundles for X amount of dollars. We're in skinny bundles for 2X, and we're in all access for 3X. That's basically how we look at the economics. We want to be all things to all people. And we've always said a service can't exist without CBS. Guided, helped a lot by the NFL programming, which is must-have television. So we're basically saying to the consumer, no matter how you want to get it, if you want it in the 180-channel universe, God bless, we're there. If you want it in the 30, 40 skinny bundle channels for more than that, we're there. Or if you're the super fan and like our original content and want all access, we can give it to you there. So we're sort of happy presenting it because, as I said, I don't think anybody could live without CBS. That may sound egocentric, but somebody like 60 Minutes or Stephen Colbert or the NFL or NCIS or the Big Bang Theory, enough to pay for it. Right. So picking up on that, and you are a specialist in brands, is CBS what they can't live without as a brand, or is it the show, 60 Minutes, and then the show, The Affair, as examples? I mean, how do you think about the media companies grappling with the transition of the brand from the traditional ecosystem into the new ecosystem, and what gets left behind, and what is really valued in the future? Look, historically, the shows have been the brand more than the network. Yeah. You know, you go up to a lot of people, they couldn't tell you, you know, what network certain shows are. There are certain shows that have an identity with the network that help the brand. 60 Minutes, I think, at CBS are tied together. The Simpsons and Fox are tied together. There are certain ones of these iconic brands that do that. But by and large, it's about the shows, and it's our job to say, you know what, these shows are on CBS, and this is how you get them. Yeah. That's what promotion does. Okay. And then not all content is created equal. Today, clearly, news is having a real euphoric time, a renaissance, right? I mean, people are watching news and maybe taking share from other areas. Obviously, sports, which is what CBS is also known for, is a bit of a renaissance period as well. Where's the shift there? Is that the must-have content? How do you price it? Are you worried about the sports part of the content getting disaggregated more in the future, given? No, look, the the NFL, I think, is going to be around for a long, long time. I think sports has proven Mm -hmm. their worth. You know, people are paying a lot of money in these contracts. So whether it's the NFL or the NBA or the NCAA basketball tournament, the NFL was down last year about 8%. One of the reasons that was attributed was the election, that there were a lot of people watching cable news during that time that were normally pro football watchers, old white guys, per se, that were the people who watch football and also were watching news regularly. I think, could be wrong, there were other factors, and I also think the NFL will be up this year. I think the numbers will go back up. So they'll reverse the ratings decline that we were all worried about last year. Correct. I, I believe that. Is the news programming that everyone's watching now taking share away from other Scripted content or other unscripted content? Not really. There are more people watching news for sure, and they're doing that. But, you know, once again, as I mentioned, most of the people watching that are an older demographic. They don't care about that much anyway, so they can go watch news as long as the younger viewers are watching the entertainment shows. So how about the U.S.? I mean, CBS is known for being an America-centric company, and I'm not going to get into a political conversation that that we've talked about before, but... Last week, you went after an Australian broadcasting company. Mm -hmm. Take us through that move and what your plans are internationally. 
there are Fox guys here, so I'm not going to give you too much information on, <laughs> on Australia. But you won. <laughs> we were one of the creditors. We have an output deal with them, and it was, it was an opportunity. And we liked the broadcasting business. So it was an opportunity there. We saw it. We're trying to uh, reconcile our output deal, and we like the asset. Do you think that we'll see CBS get more international over the next few years? You know what? Perhaps. You know, we announced the launch of our OTT service internationally, starting with Canada and secondarily in Australia, and that's something that we think can grow. We'd be dumb not to look at the 50 million subs that Netflix has internationally. I don't expect CBS All Access internationally to get 50 million subs, but there clearly is a marketplace for those types of services, and we think we can tap into part of that marketplace and make it successful. It involves a dance with our output deals and when this content become available and how do you put it on the service. But we think over the top is going to be a big international business for a lot of people. As you noted, our new service is doing really well. We're beginning a sports service and we're looking at all sorts of other OTT products that can be joined together or not. Good. A few questions about what's going on around us, not necessarily within CBS. Okay. So AT&T is reportedly close to closing the Time Warner deal. Right. What do you think about that? Do you believe in vertical integration? What are the implications for CBS? You know, for, for us, doesn't matter a whole lot. We just closed our deal with DirecTV Now, which had taken a while to do, that we closed that before the deal. Our only concern is that HBO and Showtime are treated the same, that they don't give away HBO for free and charge $50 for Showtime. That could be problematic for us. But it's going to be very interesting seeing, you know, and I know John Stanky is going to be here later and you'll have an interesting conversation, seeing how AT&T manages a content company, a media company. It's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. I don't think it's going to affect us one way or the other. We are sort of standing by neutrally and uh, it'll be interesting to see. But you mentioned Comcast and Disney before, so now you have AT&T integrated vertically, Disney obviously having multiple assets and having a global footprint, and obviously Comcast having a vertically integrated strategy. Do you feel that you're small in that environment? We are small, but we don't feel like we're underrepresented or disadvantaged. We really don't. We're smaller. We try harder. As you mentioned earlier, our network has performed extraordinarily well. And Comcast and Disney have been bigger and stronger than us for a long, long time on an equal playing field with content. We think we can compete with anybody. We think money doesn't make good content. Now, if you're a Netflix and can spend $6 billion on content and make 75 original TV shows, that's a lot. And by definition, they'll get a few really good hits there. They'll also be able to offer a huge amount of money for things where maybe Showtime would have gone after it. We're not going to win the jump ball when just money's involved. What do you think the future is of Hulu? Um, Look, Hulu made a nice switch to become a skinny bundle, which we are part of. I think it was a very smart move in their part. They're obviously getting into original content. So you have Hulu, you have YouTube, you have DirecTV Now, you have Sling. We're part of all of them except for Sling. And it's going to be very interesting to see which ones progress, which ones get better. It's going to be survival of the fittest. I think all of them aren't around five years from now, as you can tell. It's crowded, right? Well, it's not crowded yet because none of them have a ton of subs yet because they're all brand new. But 
like everything else, not all of them are going to survive. Look, five years from now, we're going to be having a conversation and these skinny bundles may not even be part of the dialogue. Five years ago, just think of all the things we never heard of that are yeah, now I mean, a lot prevalent. Of, a lot of people would say that in spite of the moniker or how disruptive it sounds when you say digital media or OTT, that that is a mature part of our business now, digital media. I don't know. Netflix has been around just four or five years doing what they're doing. Right. All Access has been around two years. Hulu, YouTube, these are all brand new businesses. They're in their infancy. This is new stuff. Amazon wasn't in the content business until relatively recently, other than Simon & Schuster, other than in the book business, which they became fairly dominant and important in. Yep. So, well, last question, Les. As you think out three, five, ten years, when you think about the future of video, what are you most excited about? What are you worried about? Let me go back to something I said earlier. It's still about doing good content. You can get all the algorithms you want about what people want to see. You still need the creative people doing it. As long as you do that, how it's going to be distributed, I have no idea. It's changing so rapidly. This year has been probably the biggest year of change in my life, you know, in terms of this thing. So it's going to be a wild ride. But as long as you stick to your blocking and tackling and are smart looking ahead at distribution systems, you're going to be fine. Great. Les, thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate Night. it. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, now iHeartRadio, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now Facebook at KindredCast for behind-the-scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.